following program is paid programming. The views expressed on the following program are those of its hosts and participants, and nowhere reflect those of the ownership, staff, or advertisers of WNRI. The views expressed on the following program of those of its hosts and participants in no way reflect those of the staff or management of WNRI. Authors Hour. Get the story behind the story. It's all on the Authors Hour. You'll get to hear the authors talking about their books and the journey behind how it all began. Join the opportunity to hear the insights on what inspired them to write it. Now, here is your host, Wayne G. Barber. Good morning, America. Tuesday morning, 9.05, another edition of the award-winning Authors Hour radio program. Syndicated around on 14 different avenues for listening, including TuneIn Radio, Simple Radio, and uh, Alexa, Apple, 1380 AM, 99.9 FM, and WNRI.com. Just click on here. That's all you got to do and leave the driving to us. I'm also a proud member of the Association of Rhode Island Authors, one of the fastest groups in all of New England on the East Coast. And this Thursday night on the 28th, we have our return again of the Lively Literati. That'll be at the East Greenwich Hotel at 162 East Greenwich Island. And Debbie Zanella is going to have horror stories on the Lively Literati. A second guest will be coming later on that, and then it's open mic and anything goes on that and also we have our uh still scheduled there was a little glitch with some pilings on the building but we haven't got a uh, turn down yet so right now our ninth annual rhode island authors expo is still a go at december 11th at the roads on the patuxent free admission and parking Book sale, over 130 authors in one building, free speakers, writing panels, raffles, and Santa will be there. Association of Rhode Island Authors. Anyone can join the Association of Rhode Island Association of Authors. But you'll find that a published author and an aspiring author with a complete manuscript will benefit most from a membership. In addition, your membership fee helps support all Rhode Island's most talented writers. Benefits of being an ARA membership include networking with dozens of local published authors at our monthly meetings that are always held on the second Thursday of the month. Presentations from industry pros on a wide array of published topics, exclusive invitations to speak and conduct your presentations at libraries and other venues. Advanced notice of any expos, festivals, and any other event where books are sold. A reduced table fee at the Rhode Island Authors Expo, a website link in IRA's members directory, and so much more. Check us out at www.riauthors.org. I did. And also opening at 10 o'clock this morning, although I think I can smell that Hogan Brothers coffee right now, all the way down from Webster, Massachusetts. That's the brand, and it's also available by the pound. Book Lovers Gourmet, your local independent bookstore, owned and operated by Debbie Horan since 1995. Right there at 72 East Main Street, Webster, Mass. 508-949-6232. Spooky reads for you. Books for all ages. Haunted New England. 
vampires, ghosts, witches, and so much more. Treat yourself to a seasonal sip, a dollar off, caramel, apple cider, pumpkin pie latte, hot or iced, at Book Lovers Gourmet and very receptive to local authors and poets to do signings and to stock your product. Folks, if you or someone you know is celebrating a birthday and you want Wayne to announce it on his program, just send him an email. His address is waynewnri at yahoo.com. Help make that special someone feel like celebrating with a birthday shout-out on WNRI. Thank you, Johnny. On 1026, Tyler Sontag turns 37 today, Dickie Potts, 65, John Lavoy from Hancock, New Hampshire, from his wife, Sue. They tune in every single Tuesday morning on TuneIn Radio. And also, uh, Kevin Chamberlain celebrates a birthday Wednesday, October 27th. And then he calls Putnam, Connecticut home now. Kevin Chamberlain, a big happy birthday if you run in to any of these people. Wayne, WNRI at Yahoo.com for any of that correspondence, including my new revised online bookstore. AuthorsHourBookstore.com New and slightly read books If you heard our author interview on our Authors Hour every Tuesday at 9 a.m., we will stock it. Call Wayne, WNRI at Yahoo.com for any locator service or a closeout book. Again, it's the new AuthorsHourBookstore.com Today's book, we're going to start off with American Chisholm, okay, S-C-H-I-M-S, I-S-M, I'm sorry, and I knew it was going to happen on WayneWNRiotJaha.com, what is the definition of schism? Is commonly in a division between people, usually beginning to an organization, a movement, or religious denomination. The world is most frequently applied to the split in what we have previously been single religious bodies, such as the Great East, West Schism, or the Western Schism. It is also used to split within non-religious organizations or movements, more broadly, of a separation between two or more people, be it brothers, friends, lovers. A schismatic is a person who creates in an, or incites schism in an organization or who is a member of a splinter group. It's an adjective, a means pertaining to schism or schisms with an S, or to those ideas, policies, etc., what are thought to lead towards or promote schism. About the author. The book is a political dialogue in America has collapsed. Roar and bitter emotions such as anger and resentment have crowded out any logical debate. In this investigative tracing of our nation's divergent roots, author Seth David Radwell explains that only reason analysis and historical perspective can act as selves for an irrational political discourse that is raging throughout our country at the present. And boy, he's got the credentials. He's an international known business executive and thought leader in consumer marketing, 
A common thread across his leadership and business endeavors has been his passion for his shared democratic values and his interest in American public policy. And the degrees just keep going on and going on and going on. Good morning, Seth David Rabdwell. How are you? How are you, Seth? Good morning, Wayne. It's a pleasure to be with you and your audience today. Where are you calling from, Seth? Actually, right now today I'm calling from Paris, France. I'm here uh, looking to potentially uh, publish my book here in France. Your voice is absolutely crystal clear. I noticed. Well, I'm glad. I was worried about that being overseas. But as you know, as part of the book tour, I've been mostly touring in America and mostly virtually, but I had to be in Europe for this week. Now, the system from calling from Paris, France to the USA, is that a very elaborate experience? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think so. I'm actually talking through my, 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 my MacBook Air, and it's, as long as it sounds clear, I'm happy. Um, I'm very happy to be able to share uh, some time with you, with you and your listeners because I think American schism. And it's funny that you said schism could be it could be pronounced both schism and schism. You're correct. I, I I spent a lot of time working with that particular word, but I usually I usually call it a schism. And it, American schism is an important book it, and has been a bestseller on Amazon for quite a while because it's I think it's topical. It's trying to understand and address why it seems that we're the most divided we've ever been in America. It seems so bitter. And I went on an investigative journey uh, of a lot of research to try to answer that question of why. From start to finish, how long did it take the book? It was, well, the whole process was about three years. I, I About two and a half, three years ago, I started reading about the Enlightenment from the perspective of one of the foremost professors of the Enlightenment, a guy named Jonathan Israel. And I couldn't help, as I've always been a big nonfiction reader, and I studied public policy at school, of course, but it was his take on the Enlightenment that I found particularly interesting and relevant for the divide that was raging in the U.S. And I got in touch with him a couple of years back and start, and I asked him about the notion of applying the, of his Enlightenment framework to the U.S. current situation. And he, he was quite supportive, and I did a lot of research. So I would say it was about three years, and the book just came out this past, uh, this past summer, and it's doing quite well. Now, the book is rather thick. It is a long read. How long was the edit? How much did you have to cut out? A lot. I mean, you know, I, I still think I might have been better, been better off making it a little bit shorter, but there was a lot of material. There were essentially three discrete parts to the book, Wayne. The first one explains how the divide that we see in America today is really an outcome and goes back to a division that happened at our founding, this break, this schism between two different schools of thought. One uh, from what I call the radical enlighteners, people like Thomas Jefferson and Thomas Paine and Benjamin Franklin, 
and and the more moderate people like John Adams and, and Alexander Hamilton. And I'll, I'll explain the difference between them in a second, but the first part of the book kind of sets that up and understands how this division happened during our founding. But then the second part of the book uh, uses that as a lens to try to understand five discrete periods of our history. And the third part of the book applies it to today and then lays out a path going forward. So it has really three different parts. Now, are you planning a sequel to this book? Well, I've gotten a lot of feedback from uh, from readers, and there are questions in, in the third part of the book. In order to move forward out of our current morass, I suggest two overall types of changes: one, structural changes to our republic, and the other more mindset changes about how we interact with each other. And uh, there are specific next steps in each of those categories, and a lot of readers have asked me for more detail. So I might do a sequel that talks more about some of the ideas about moving forward in, in a comprehensive plan to rehabilitate, if you will, our political discourse. I like how you set the book up in the three stages like that, and you start out actually with the birth of our nation in the colonial times, and I love old history books, and I related so many instances into my mind when I started reading it. Uh, the Tea Party, uh, the codfish, I was used to blackmail, salt, with no salt, there's no codfish, yeah. and there was so many... Uh, you can't step on their toes or else we're going to lose our livelihood. And then it goes all the way up to 1812, where half of New England voted not to participate in the war. And people don't realize yeah. that. That was very big at that time. And you bring it full circle now to approximately three years ago. When the riots in the cities really started escalating down in Baltimore, in those parts, and even uh, rural Minnesota, and it looks like uh, the police department are under such a threat they're throwing their hands up in the air because they're not getting the direction. They're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. Mm -hmm. Well, what I love about what you just said, Wayne, is that the entire premise of the book is that not only are many Americans trapped in a partisan bubble of getting information from their, from a biased source, of one source, but we're also trapped in a time bubble, meaning that we think what's happening today is so unique, but the whole premise of the book is that if we understand history, if we view some of our contemporary problems within the context of our American historical development, we have a very, very different perspective, and your example is a good one. I, I think another one that comes up a lot is, you know, readers have asked me, we, we've heard discussion at very great detail about the January 6th attack on the Capitol, but from, from, from all that discussion, you very rarely hear the, the fact that this was hardly the first attack on our nation's capital. Correct. In fact, there were many attempts to overthrow the government across our history, and I think they are relevant. For example, in, right after the country was, was formed, really, um, in Shays' Rebellion, which happened in Massachusetts, uh, they, there was a group of uh, ex-warriors from the Revolutionary War 
that were quite annoyed at the taxing scheme set up by the Federalists to pay for the war, and they tried to overthrow the government of, of Massachusetts in that case. Now, I'm not saying the situation of Shay's Rebellion and what happened on January 6th are exactly the same or very parallel, but there are important parallel um, ideas that relate very well to both of them, as well as the rebellion a couple of years later called the Whiskey Rebellion. So my point is, if we understand history differently, we have a much better understanding of where we can go. Correct. I agree 100%. It, it, it's all laid out from us from history by our fathers and the Constitution. If we would just get back to basics instead of fine tuning everything to appease certain special in, uh, interest groups, maybe we would be all better off. Well, so, so one of the one of the things that we have to embrace head on, in my view, is this: these two different. Uh, views of what America uh, is. So, as I mentioned, there was the, these radical and then these um, more moderate enlighteners. So, so first of all, it's important for your listeners to understand, if they don't know much about history, that the entire American uh, revolution and experiment started out as part of the Enlightenment, which was a, you know, the Enlightenment is a word that's often been out of favor nowadays, but it's so vital for what's created the modern society. Uh, you know, and, and it's important when I speak to students, especially, I explain that, you know, a lot of the gifts that we have today, as a, as a lot of the reasons that we've prospered so much in the last 200 years is because there's a framework of the Enlightenment. One example would be that 200 years ago, the life expectancy was about 30 years. And today, of course, it's over 70. So uh, a lot of what we've gained has been through science and through a, a, a modern framework for making decisions and, and advancing society. So, so, But in the Enlightenment, from the political perspective, there were two very different views of how to set up a society, what was called the social contract. And the radicals, uh, which, like, like I mentioned, Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Paine, they got their inspiration from the French radical Enlightenment. And for them, one of the key differences with the moderates was that the only valid form of government in a republic uh, for, for the social contract from their perspective was a representative democracy, a government of the people. Whereas the moderates like Adams and Hamilton, they very much eschewed democracy. They didn't think democracy could work and they were in fact very wary of it. Uh, they were much more attuned to the kind of mixed government model of what was at the time called an aristocratic republic, where the elites ran government. So the first big difference that, that came out during this revolutionary period for us was this difference between this representative democratic form of government and a more institutional elite form of government. And this, the second key difference between the radicals and the moderates related to religion. So the radicals have documented how for centuries prior, the church and the monarchy had very much colluded to keep people oppressed. And as a consequence of that long collusion, the, the radicals said, represented or insisted that civic affairs be kept separate from faith-based affairs. In other words, what we call today the separation between church and state. 
That came out of the, the radical enlighteners. In fact, Jefferson famously wrote, in our new country, we not only should have freedom of religion, but freedom from religion. Right. And even though many of the founders were men of faith, they, they very much kept the, the uh, it, this construct of the American government was the separation of church and state. So I'm pointing this out because these two differences ended up affecting us greatly. And one of the things the book does in the first section is trace the time, the 12 years, between the Declaration of Independence in 1776 and the Constitution in 1787, 11 years later, and it describes how there was a huge shift. So in, in 1776, the Declaration of Independence is a very radical Enlightenment document with statements that are probably, um, well, it's, it, it, it most certainly is the most uh, uh, radical document ever written a pro proclamation. All men are created equal, uh, endowed with, with their God-given rights I mean, of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These were, this is, was very radical enlightenment uh, uh, specific. But, but yet, 11 years later at the, the Constitution, there was a lot of compromise that was formed with the moderates. So, for example, the Constitution, while it does have some element of democracy, like the House was democratic, notice how the Senate at the time was quite elite. In other words, it, it was the states who would appoint leaders from, from the states to the Senate, which was the, the, the senior body. Similarly, the, the, the Constitution provided for an, a very strong executive which was uh, very much along the lines of the moderate uh, of lightness. So my point being is that through these, these 11 years, there was a big shift of thinking. And what the book shows, Wayne, is that all through our history, there have been these shifts. These, I describe it like a pendulum that swings back and forth between different forces that characterize how our public policy and our political environment is. I got an email from Sarah from Poughkeepsie, New York, and she says, this guy sounds very, very political. Could you please have the fortitude to ask him one question? Are you for term limits or fundraising limits or a combination of both? Great question. So let me discuss it. So I'm very, I'm very happy to get this email, because this question. First of all, the, the book is tries to be nonpartisan. I mean, I, I think that part of the, the ills of today relates to both the extremes on both sides. In fact, I show in the book that 77% of Americans are part of what I call the frustrated majority, meaning that they, they believe that both extremes are, 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 that, that are shouting at each other are not, are not helpful. But to the specific question she asked, yes, the third part of the book lays out these structural changes, and I think one of the fundamental ones that's probably most important is term limits. I think term limits are very important because today we have a federal government that's dysfunctional where most uh, legislators spend the majority of their time and effort and money on getting reelected as opposed to solving problems. Correct. Which is what public policy is all about. So term limits to me is part of the solution, and I talked about that in the third part of the book to a great degree. Now, the second thing she asked was about spending limits. And this, again, is a structural change that I do address in the book because 
I think that our that the need for campaign finance reform is enormous, given what's happened in the country. And I discuss why and what some of the solutions are in the third chapter of American Schism, the third uh, part. So uh, thank you for that question. Okay. I got a question here. I thought about it on the way in, and I wrote it on before I came down. Your customer demographic target area for purchasing this book, would it be college business graduates, a brand-new voter, or a current politician to expand his views in education of the American political system? Great question. I mean, they're all important audiences. The two primary audiences that I intended this book for was, I mentioned before that in the country, and, and there's been a lot of research on this, more in common, there's been a lot that describes different types of citizens. Well, there's a big hunk of citizens that are concerned about our country, but are not, but, but understand that we're going to have to work together and compromise. And they say, they think that their voice is being crowded out by people who are screaming on in social media or whatever. So, so that audience, which I call the frustrated majority, I believe that we're a majority of Americans, many are concerned about our country, and know that despite all our differences, and we certainly have differences, we have more in common based on our American values of freedom, liberty, of meritocracy, and they realize we have to compromise and not keep shouting at each other because that's not going to be productive. So that's the audience, the concerned citizen who's open to ideas and is willing to recognize other points of view. In the goal of preserving our democracy for our children. And I would say the second audience, which you mentioned, are young people, students, whether high school seniors or college students, who want to understand why civics is so important. You know. One of the things I talk about, Wayne, the book, is how over the last couple of decades, I make the argument that our focus in school, K-12, on STEM, science, technology, education, engineering, and math, those scientific, those fact-based uh, subjects, which are so important for getting a good job and for advancing, we, we focused on them so much that maybe we've crowded out, we've left out what we used to call social studies or civics. And the, the, the reason why that's relevant is because the French Enlightenment especially realized that for a democracy to work, you need an educated populace that understands and, uh, um, broad, the broad bases of communication. And what I'm talking about here is not just a course in physics, but in civics, but things like how to evaluate evidence, how to evaluate sources, how to weigh and judge ideas, how to compare them, how to communicate about them. We used to have, when I was in school, debate clubs. Those types of skills are very important for citizens to have in a democracy. And I think that they, they've been uh, crowded out. So the second, back to your question, the second audience beside these concerned citizens would be young students, seniors and, and, high, and college students. And I I try to spend a lot of time speaking to them. I'm on, on my book tour. I've been talking to those types of students. Fantastic book. I'll tell you, it's very, very interesting. It's very informative. It makes you think what I really like in a book. I, I think it's a tad too long. Maybe you should have got, you know, part one, part two. But that's the only criticism. It's got a great cover on it, an eye catcher. 
And uh, the word itself makes you think. So automatically you're going to take your cell phone and put a Google in and what does this word mean? And then you'll open up the book and really get into the hook on the book. And I I think it's going to be uh, a timeless seller for a lot of generations. And I think it's appropriate for all generations. You know, grandparents, we have a lot of grandparents and guardians that listen to the author's hour. And they always send me emails. Is it appropriate for my 15-year-old? Is it appropriate for 10? Or, you know, the age groups. And I see nothing offensive in the book. Is that correct? Yeah, the, the, I, I think the book is, it tries to be nonpartisan, and it's certainly not offensive in any way. It tries to point out much of our history. You know, what I've done sometimes for younger students is I've, I've, I've assigned them chapters, because like you said, the book is a little bit long. But it's comprehensive, and that's why I think it's the length it is. But American Schism, I think, I really appreciate your point about being it being timeless. I think it can be... Use a lot of people have recommended that we use it for uh, college courses in history. I, agree. I think um, it's of course available today wherever books are sold. It's very it's greatly discounted on Amazon, and they have it in Kindle and in the hardcover, etc. But but I, I, you know I hope that your your listeners will take a look at it. I I, I very much wrote did this. I took a three year hiatus from my business career. Because I, I care about our democracy. This was not a, a for-profit venture for me. It was about trying to get a better dialogue going. You know, most of my career um, has been in, uh, in, in the you know, marketing space as an executive for major brands. And in the public sector, most of what we do is we solve problems. And I've become increasingly dismayed that in the, pro- in the public sector, in the private sector, we solve problems. I was dismayed that in the public sector, we seem to stew in problems without solving them. And that's, that's not good for our country or our democracy. And that concerns me. I also think one of the problems that led me to write the book was that it seems that as Americans in our dialogue, we've abandoned the pursuit of objective truth. And... You know, from my perspective, objective truth is really important if we're going to solve problems. So, again, all, all I have to say that I hope your listeners will take a look at the book, American Schism. I think they'll find it interesting. And if they want more information, Wayne, there's a, a, a website, americanschismbook.com, where they can write to me, ask me questions, or see some videos of, of me talking about the book. So, again, if they want to get more information, americanschismbook.com. And they can also download a free chat. A free, set of chapters there. So so that's some information in terms of how to find out more about the book. I'm going to try to squeeze in one more question here from Tallahassee, Florida, and it's uh, not related to the book, but you said you called in from Paris and you're crystal clear. What's the situation with the virus and your environment over there right now? It, it, well, I'm not sure if the question here means in Europe. I mean, so... so the, 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 it's, it's very much uh, similar in, in Europe to the U.S. There's been a lot more in recent months uh, people getting vaccinated, so that's helped enormously. Uh, there, so they did have the Delta um, strain here, which was very, as it was everywhere, very, very contagious. So there was a, a third wave, like we had in the States, of cases. But it seems to be on the wane now, and um, I think people are still getting vaccinated very, very much. So uh, the hope is that it'll continue to drop as people get more and more vaccinated. 
Are the borders open in France right now for the immigration? Yeah, they ask that you have a vaccination card or a proof of a negative COVID test in order to go, to go through. So you need that information. But otherwise, things are open. In indoors, people tend to wear masks. Not always, but usually. If you go into a restaurant, you might have to show your vaccination card or get a proof of a negative a COVID test. So they are taking precautions like some places in the United States as well. Well, thank you very much for the worldly report on the virus situation and for writing this fantastic book. Seth David Radwell, if you come out with a sequel or any other material, you have my address. Get it to me. We'll get you right on the air. And thank you very much for taking the time to call from Paris, France to the Author's Hour, available on podcast at anchor.fm slash Wayne dash Barber. Um, after the show, that'll be there in perpetuity, and I hope people really encourage and get out and buy this book. Thank you very much, Wayne. American Schism. Hope your listeners enjoy, and it's a pleasure to have been with you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that. Boy, what a good book. Really, really is. I saw him this morning. He was in early this morning. He's not an early riser, but today he was. We're talking about... Uh, that uh, Vietnam veteran that puts in all those hours, he's a member of 818 here in Woonsocket. And his phone number, I'm going to do it reverse. I'm going to give you a phone number and then see if you can identify what the business is. 401-767-2922. I have a tattooed on my arm and my wife thinks I'm having an affair. But it's for my good friend, Oscar Hancock, over at American Beauty Signworks. And he's an essential coronavirus small business and what a good move that was going up to 706 St. Paul Street, North Smithfield. Now he's got the two big surface bays with the big high doors. Uh, he cannot have to take a day off now because of bad weather working outside. He pulls those trucks and cars inside, um, welds up all those frames and stuff like that. And authors, if you're getting back into your book signings now with your tables and that, that's where I get my signage for my book signings throughout New England. He's got a program for any type of selling. They're experts at American Beauty Signworks, covering the tri-state region from Worcester to Thompson to Webster, where the cranes are in the sky. You'll see the trucks up there with the same commonality, that new sign that's up by American Beauty Signworks. Desiree with three E's can show you the portfolio on that 60-inch screen, and that'll give you a, a real good creative juices getting going for a new advertising program. A second part of a show, we may have a poet calling in, Karen Warinsky, but uh, it was a, a cancellation I had this morning at 10 past 6. So I sent her what they call one of those Facebook messengers, and she wanted to promote in a big event coming up in poetry in New England. So I guess everybody has a day job. So we'll see how that works out, but I have enough material here. We have a he shed in Arizona. Not a she shed, not from the national advertising. Shane Hopkins and all the crew up there built a he shed because they're now building race cars in Harrisville, Rhode Island. Adding on more jobs, local taxpayers, it's Northeast Race Cars and Speed. Pick up a ship daily by 11, all the way down to New Smyrna, Florida, or West Cassett, Maine. 
401-710-9992. They're open from 8 to 5 at the Speed Shop and the same, uh, same building as Hopkins Brothers Auto Repair with the best brake job in Northern Rhode Island. Race car pot supplier and custom fabrication, chassis setup, Simpson, MSD Ignition, Willwood, Moroso, so much more. And the He Shed. And it's not just race car pots. Chrome goodies for your classic car and your pickup. And uh, so many things up there at Northeast Race Cars and Speed. And all divisions, too. The racing season's coming to an end, and now's the time. They'll be building the new machines for next year. So if you want to get in victory lane, call Northeast Race Cars and Speed at 401-710-9992. Now, a lot of people that listen to my award-winning show on Sunday, The Outdoor Scene, are always sending me emails on one of my favorite topics, mystery rides, things to do in New England for families that are affordable. Did you know, as Dick Bushrod would say, that we have a automotive motorsports racing museum right here in Pawtucket? It's called Pro 9 Motorsports Museum where racing history repeats itself. You can see Lenny Bowler's old number blue, the number three, or Oscar Hancock's white number three that raced for two and a half years at Thompson Speedway with his son, and it was supposed to revolutionize racing in New England. Well, that fell by the wayside. The SK Modifieds are dominant. But all of that is on display on three levels at New England's first museum dedicated to automobile racing history. If you're doing research, Ancestry.com, did my great uncle, did my grandfather ever race at the nine racetracks we had in Rhode Island, or the 16 in Massachusetts, or the 32 in Connecticut? They're all in my book, New England's Golden Years of Racing, that and so much more. But they'll help you on the research because they have it all collated right there. Give Rick Marischel or his fine volunteers a call ahead of time to unlock the door and make sure the heat and the lights are on. 401-447-4202. You can also sign up to be a member to keep this great tradition going. And also sign up to be a member of NearOne.org, New England Antique Races. They're going to have their Hall of Fame induction very, very shortly. And also... For a $5 fee, you can get a ticket on a chance of a one-of-a-kind racing replica of Teddy Christopher created by Paul Massey. He's only building one. It's their annual fundraiser. $5 a ticket at uh, nearone.org or Pro9 Motorsports Museum. You'll be glad you did. I'm watching the line for Karen. And in the meantime, I've got to get into some of the ins and outs of uh, the poetry field. And boy, I'll tell you, that's something that Amanda Gorman, uh, I saw her on the internet the other day uh, through New York. And I guess it's culminating now. She got that three-book contract for a million dollars per book. What a talent she is. The hill we climb started everything going at the uh, Biden uh, inauguration back in January. And uh, Brandon Leak, America's Got Talent poet, one from 2020, uh, he came back to the show uh, to do a uh, cabaret that he's got going in Las Vegas right now, along to go with that $1 million contract. 
in Orange Live, uh, a member of the Association of Rhode Island Authors just received some super big grant money from the arts down in the city of Providence. That's DeMont Combs. And uh, he's a Johnson & Wheel graduate on that. And poetry is alive in New England. It's going right through the roof. And as you know right now... Uh, Nicola, Nick Nicola from uh, New York, uh, one of our call-ins from Broadway, giving us the uh, Poet Laureate Report from uh, Broadway, said everything is opening up in New York right now. we got to get him back on. I keep forgetting to uh, get him lined up for the second half of the show. As he's got the real good pulse of what's going on on uh, Broadway and downtown in New York. Uh, we have uh, the statewide business after hours has been canceled. That was over at the Rhodes on the Patuxent, October 26th. Uh, the Boston Book Festival, that was on the 16th. They had to do that virtual with a Zoom. And uh, that's how we're doing our monthly meetings now, too, with the Association of Rhode Island Authors. Uh, and also a reminder, uh, dues and renewals for the Association of Rhode Island Author, and also transportation and limousine services provided by CJ Trans Fairbanks today and Little General Stores. Hormel cooked ham. The sale ends on 1031. It was in Monday in the call and on their fantastic website. Go on the website for Little General and click off going on the email list that comes out every Monday for the specials of the week. That way you can plan and call ahead and all the deli departments will have it all packaged up for you in and out with good quality stuff. So that's Hormel cooked ham at $2.99 a pound. Whole white American cheese at five ninety nine, and petite sirloin steak at only five ninety nine a pound. At Little General Stores, there's one in your neighborhood. They're all open eight days a week. Uh, money orders, gift cards, and they bailed me out a few weeks ago with Propane Exchange. I had the steak on there, and boy, it was taking a long time. I ran out of propane, so I ran down to Little General, and they bailed me out again. Little General Stores is one in your neighborhood since 1970. Uh, if your neighborhood or your demographic thinks it's right for a Little General Store, uh, give Mr. Lapier a call and they'll do a study and see if they can put one in your neighborhood too. Did you get over to Gloucester, Rhode Island to see over 100 scarecrows? It's going to be a three-week event right in the center of Chapachet over in Gloucester. I got a feeling this wind and raid is probably going to do a number on them. But, you know, people tried to latch them down as much as they can, but that's growing by leaps and bounds. And right in the middle of that, we are at the Dragon. And that is the slogan for one of the fastest-growing stores in the tri-state region, Green Dragon Comics and Gift Shop. You know, if you look, at uh, the cinemas and the box office uh, shattering records the last three or four years. It's the Avengers, Captain America, uh, all those type of action films which we relate right back to comic books and what a resurgence in comics books going on now. I remember the Green Hornet myself and Superman when I was a kid. I'll bet you you do too. But if you're missing uh, one edition of your collection. She probably has it right there with that vast inventory. She's already put a new edition on, and now she has a whole new parking area. No more mud. Crushed asphalt down, 
absolutely dry, no more mud. Because they're growing by leaps and bounds. And they have Fortnite, Magic the Gathering, all the games. And please, you talk about a social media savvy businesswoman, Green Dragon Comics on Facebook. Like it. Get on her list because she updates it almost every day with sealed events, dual events. You know, the buzzer goes off at 7 o'clock and everybody starts creating and building. You geeks out there know what I'm talking about. It's Green Dragon Comics and Green Dragon uh, Gift Shop. We are at the Dragon right there at the intersection of Route 100 and 102 and beautiful Chapachet, Rhode Island. And the scarecrows are still up. There was 100. I drove right through them this morning. I didn't drive over them, but I went on 44 to get down here. Let me rephrase that so I don't have anybody accuse me of killing a uh, scarecrow in Chapachet. So that's actually one Victory Highway, 401-949-2076. The Author's Hour Bookstore. I did a lot of work on it this week. I moved it down in a big part of the garage. And by mentioning going on the com and listening to today's show, I'll take another big 10% off and make arrangements on how to get those books right to you. We have over 340 books on file in the computer right now, and we did the inventory the other day. We have over 1,000 books in my inventory right now. So if there's something you're looking for on all genres, I probably have it right in my authorshourbookstore.com. Karen Warinsky. She was a second guest of the day, but like I say, everybody has a day job. I found one in her book called Golden Autumn. Uh, The picture on the cover of the book is very familiar to me because it's right in the commons of Thompson, Connecticut, in the beautiful fall splendor. The colors on that oak are just unbelievable. And what a perfect combination for the book, Gold in Autumn. One of my favorite ones is on page 51, Asleep in the Field. The day was cloudy, so we nixed the beach walk and went to the local sanctuary. A few plots of farmland and a forest-rimmed ravine, creating a haven for butterflies, birds, and what's left of the bees, protected now by well-written grants. You pulled your hood up over your hat, and I was glad to have remembered my scarf because it was a damp cold seeping into our clothes and bones. Colors are muted now. October ran by so fast. I feel I missed it. Through photographic proof shows, I was there. Now the goldenrod is all champagne seeds. Some leaves have curled downwards, revealing their ivory underside, and all is hushed and crackling, dried to the hundred shades of brown while they're in the field, Surrounded by carefully placed stone walls, a family was sleeping in the ground they once tilled. And the headstones whispered what was erased by time and the elements as we quietly walked away. Asleep in the Field, a fantastic poetry book by a local author, Karen Warinsky. And she's going to be having an event coming up with uh, about six other authors. We'll get her on the show, and she'll talk about it more. I don't want to butcher it up because uh, some of them are traveling in a long distance. And she may have cancellations and also uh, new poetry readers do that. 
And I think there's going to be an open mic at the end of it. You know what we're setting up this morning? Even though it's a little rainy, our Beatles Flowers and Gift Shop. They still have an ample supply of fall decorations, uh, sugar pumpkins, cooking pumpkins, ornamental cabbage, ornamental kale, and uh, those Cubics wood pellets from uh, Canada. You know, lock in at today's price. Because, you know, we were talking to a guy from Paris, France today. I talked with a guy from England yesterday. There's a shortages of drivers in England of 100,000 drivers. How many drivers are we shortage of in this country in Canada? That's going to give a spike on all these deliveries of these wood pellets. Lock in at today's price and guarantee you'll have them. It's already October. Jeff turned on his heat last night. I know he did. He was freezing. And uh, Susan tried, but as soon as she left the room, I turned it back the other way. But Belu's Flowers has got an ample supply of those wood pellets. Um, buy you know, three or four bags at a time, and Ralph will put them in the back. It needs to work out. And also... Uh, you know, cooking on the grill is not done. And they have a unique product at Beedloo's Flowers and Gift Shop. Award-winning best in business by the Reader's Choice Call and Pawtucket Times. Again, congratulations. Two categories. Best gift shop, best flower shop. And you know as well as I do, flowers from a florist last longer. 401-766-3165. But let's get back to that secret product they got over there. First of all, they got a couple of additives over there that you can put in a stew or a soup. Two different flavors. Ask Jeannie about that. And, you know, the welcome wagons are almost non-existent now with the virus. I don't see those little vans or those little scooters or the Coopers and that. I don't see them anywhere anymore. And you know how many houses and businesses have been flipped in the last couple of years? You don't know who your neighbors are anymore because the houses flip so fast. Jeannie's got the solution on how to find out who lives next to you. Buy some of her Bobex smoking pellets. They come in two flavors. One for chicken and fish and another one for red meats. Take a handful, wrap it in aluminum foil, put a couple of holes in it with your fork and put it on your fire. That'll turn an inexpensive cut into a gourmet meal. And it'll have the same effect as a fresh pot of coffee or a fresh pot of popcorn. The aroma from your grill will go to your new neighbors and they will be enticed to knock on your door and say, Hi, I'm so-and-so. What the heck are you cooking? It smells so good. And now you know who your neighbors are. So, Junie didn't, uh, Ralph did you another favor. Belo's Flowers, 665 Diamond Hill Road, over 65 years. 401 766 3165. Seekonk Speedway. What a show we had Saturday. That closed out the season from 1945 down there. But the same thing happened. We come out and people lock their keys and key fob in the car. Now, who are they going to call? An ex-wife be reminded a couple of months alimony behind? Nope, they should be calling for multitasking services out of one business in beautiful Boroughville. Larry's 24-hour towing, Boroughville Motor Sales, or to schedule a Rhode Island Vehicle State Inspection. Call 401-568-6286. Since 1922. Used auto and truck sales, new arrivals every day. Again, vehicle state inspections, 
uh, Peter, Jerry, John, Brian, Carrie, what an experienced staff they have. Also, expert body work and insurance estimates right on the premises. They don't farm out anything. And if it's just a lockout service, just to get you back on your way. If it's a jump-starting service, maybe you just need a surface charge. You left the dome light, your seatbelt got caught in the door. Or you just use some of that stimulus money and you bought a motorcycle or an ATV. How are you going to get it home without being registered? Don't get tagged. Call Larry's 24-hour towing. Give them the address. They haven't lost a car yet. 401-568-6286. Last email of the day at Wayne, W1RI, Yahoo.com. Teresa is giving me holy heck. And she says, Wayne, she says, we do not need any more service at this time. The overwhelming response of hiring experienced service has been filled. But now, with the extended hours being the dining room open Tuesday through Friday from 11 to 9, and that fantastic Tuesday special, large cheese pizza or full 15 slices, only $7 every Tuesday, at the world-famous Cereo's Pizzeria and Restaurant. Teresa's got the email right there. Wayne, we need one or two experienced cooks. Do not call for the job. Apply in person. We do it the old-fashioned way. We look them in the eye and shake their hand and see if they make the grade to join our team at Cereal's Pizza Rima and Restaurant. Uh, you know, the Red Sox got knocked off again. My Cardinals got knocked off again. But if you want the ambiance of Yorkie Way, those fantastic sausage subs and meatball sandwiches, on Thursday, a large meatball or Italian grinder, only 6 50. And that's not 8 or 10 inches. That's a foot long. And I'll tell you what a sandwich he does. He makes me a sausage. I call it a Fedway Park special. I order the sausage and he puts on sweet and hot. He splits it up in half. And then I tell him put red peppers, green peppers and onions. And don't you dare put any cheese on that. And then John Orlando's Italian sauce on top. It brings me right back to Yorkie Way and satisfies my needs for the Cardinals not going to the World Series. We'll be there next year. Cereal's Pizza Rima and Restaurant. Give them a call tonight. There's probably some hockey games on tonight for delivery. They haven't lost an order yet either. 401-568-7187. For over 52 years servicing the public up there at the Bridgeton Triangle. Now, GPS will probably not recognize Bridged and Triangle, so try 405 Church Street, Pasco. Not to be confused with Mock Store down on the Providence Street, only open for seafood on Friday. A lot of people that are coming up from the city taking that uh, mystery ride up into the country are confused of two names. At one time, Cereals had four restaurants, Old John and the three boys and uh, Mark. And, uh, boy, they had quite an empire going. And now it's down to the one full-time with Jim and Teresa at the Bridgeton Triangle and one one day a week here in Providence. But uh, great families and great cooks for years and years. We're looking at 9.59. And today on the Author's Hour, we had American Schism. S-C-H-I-S-M. By a fantastic author, Seth David 
Radwell. I don't say that lightly. There's a lot of stuff in this book that if you go back to the America's history is coming full circle right now with the same problems. But now we're not addressing them. We put them, kick them down the road. And maybe it's time we go to those term limits and whatever he suggests in the book to get us out of this rut and be world leaders again. We'll be back on Sunday at 9.05 with the outdoor scene. Uh, we have a couple of reports coming in, deer reports from Vermont, Maine, and New Hampshire. The youth seasons have already started up there. And I believe Jeff is getting attacked by coyotes. And Roger's getting uh, attacked by these little black animals up in Canada. And he's already found 34 of them. The rumor is he's bringing back a couple to uh, Winsock and he's going to make them pets. I think they're ferrets or something like that. Around here, we call them weasels. Thank you very much for tuning in. And tomorrow, have the best day of your life. And you know what I got on the computer? I have an author's hour outro. Aren't we high tech? Thank you to our fine sponsors, guests, and emailers at waynewnri at yahoo.com and for tuning in to the author's hour. Remember to shop locally and to read a book. And tomorrow, please have the best day of your life. Your host, Wayne G. Barber.